Hillary Clinton is back. She announced on Tuesday that she takes responsibility for losing the 2016 presidential election to Donald Trump. Well, sort of. According to the newly defanged former Democratic leader, she takes, quote, absolute personal responsibility for her loss. But she adds that, quote, I was on the way to winning until a combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me and got scared off. If the election had been on October 27th, I would be your president. But aside from that, she, she takes responsibility. She also added that places that didn't vote for her couldn't get, quote, cell coverage for a mile. Um, no. What does she have going on next? She says, I'm now back to being an activist citizen and part of the resistance. Really? What exactly is she resisting? Is this Rogue One? She dragged her party down almost single-handed in the, in, in the last election cycle. Now she wants to be part of the cool kids crowd again. This is precisely what's wrong with Hillary Clinton and what her husband understood. You can't hijack a popular movement with which you had nothing to do. Bernie Sanders? Maybe. Hillary Clinton? No. But perhaps Hillary still has 2020 ambitions. Those rumors are still floating out there, and right now the three leading 2020 candidates for the Democrats are all around her age. Elizabeth Warren, who's a young 67, Joe Biden, who's 74 years old, and Bernie Sanders, who's 75 years old. She is a youthful 69. What's to stop her from running again? Herein lies the problem for the Democrats. All of their top names are old fogies with no youth appeal, other than the geriatrics nutso-socialist who isn't technically a Democrat. Their youth movement, however, has no exact target. It's just a lot of people angry about a lot of different things, complaining about the evils of patriarchal, heterosexist, cis-normative society. Hillary cannot lead that bunch. Republicans should be very excited to see Hillary back in play, just so they should be excited that Barack Obama is making a comeback. Obama and Hillary helped raise a generation of Democrats. Now they'll salt the earth. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, tons to talk about today. I want to talk at length about Jimmy Kimmel's pitch for Obamacare last night on his program and what it meant to me, because I think I have some personal experience in this area that is relevant. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at ZipRecruiter.com. So if you don't want to be cursed with, a, with the blight of horrible employees like some of us I could name are, then you should go over to ZipRecruiter.com right now and check it out. You can post your job to 100-plus job sites. You get all of the resumes into one place. You can file through them there. You don't have to worry about them stacking up on your desk. You don't have to worry about calling back. Uh, it's, it's all done just with one click of a button. You find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once. Watch your qualified candidates roll in to that ZipRecruiter easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You screen candidates, you rate them, and you hire the right person fast. You want to make sure that you have the best person for the job. ZipRecruiter is the way to do it. It's been used by Fortune 100 companies, and it's been used by the Daily Wire. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free right now by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Make sure you use that Daily Wire so they know that we sent you. Again, you can post those jobs for free and make sure that you are getting the best qualified applicants because most people are never going to hear your job opening unless you put it on ZipRecruiter. Networks like Facebook and Twitter, you can put it on there just with one click. Makes your job easy. Make sure you get the best applicants. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Okay, so the talk of the town yesterday was Jimmy Kimmel on late night, and he was telling a story about his son. He has a newborn son uh, who tragically has a heart condition, and he was brought to Children's Hospital. He had to have emergency heart surgery. I guess he was born maybe at Children's Hospital, or at least they transferred him over there. Uh, And Jimmy Kimmel tells this story, and then he turns it into a pitch for Obamacare. And I want to talk about this because uh, I have some personal thoughts on the matter. A little over a week ago on Friday, April 21st, uh, my wife, Molly, gave birth to a boy, a baby boy, and he appeared to be a normal, healthy baby until about three hours after he was born, when a very attentive nurse at Cedar sinai Hospital, her name is Nanoush, 
was checking him out and heard a murmur in his heart, which is common with newborn babies, but she also noticed he was a bit purple. They did an x-ray and his lungs were fine, which meant his heart wasn't. So now more doctors and nurses and equipment come in and it's it's a terrifying thing. I'm, uh, you know, my wife is back in the uh, recovery room. She has no idea what's going on. And I'm standing in the middle of a lot of very worried looking people kind of like right now, um, <laughs> who are trying to figure out what the problem is. It's Friday night, and so they call a pediatric cardiologist, uh, Dr. Eben Zahn. They did an echocardiogram, which is a sonogram of the heart, and found that Billy was born with um, a heart disease, uh, something called tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary atresia. It's hard to explain. Basically, the pulmonary valve was completely blocked, and he has a, a hole in the wall between the left and right sides of his heart. And then they brought my wife in, and um, they wheeled her in, and Dr. Zahn told her what was going on and what our options were, and we decided to take him to Children's Hospital, where there's a world-renowned cardiac surgeon who is by all accounts, a genius. His name is Dr. Vaughn Starnes. So we put the baby in an ambulance to Children's Hospital, Los Angeles. And on Monday morning, Dr. Starnes opened his chest and fixed one of the two defects in his heart. He went in there with a scalpel and did some kind of magic that I, I couldn't even begin to explain. He opened the valve and the operation was a success. It was the longest three hours of my life. And I have a list of people I want to thank for making that happen. And, um, I hope I have my list. These are just some of the people who played a part in this. It was an enormous team effort, really was. And I want to say one other thing. President Trump last month proposed a $6 billion cut in funding to the National Institute of Health. And thank God our congressman uh, made a deal last night to not go along with that. They actually increased funding by $2 billion. Instead of the people who would have been affected by those cuts to the National Institute of Health are children. And it, it would have a major impact on a lot of great places, including Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, which is so unbelievably sad to me. We were brought up to believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. But in, until what, a few years ago, millions and millions of us had no access to health insurance at all. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. You were born with a pre-existing condition. If your parents didn't have medical insurance, you might not live long enough to even get denied because of a pre-existing condition. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. That, I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? Okay, I mean, so, okay, so I have some experiences here and I want to talk about them. And I don't really talk about this a lot because I don't like to make my family life an issue on the show and in politics generally. Okay, a couple of years ago, this would have been mid of 2015. My daughter was born in January 2014, mid 2015, like July 2015. My daughter, uh, who is a beautiful little girl, she is uh, she is she has the flu and she starts throwing up. And when she's throwing up, she's fainting. And we don't know why. And so we take her into that. It's very scary. I mean, she's like keeling over, literally fainting dead away while she's throwing up. And it turns out that it was breath holding. We didn't know that. So we go to the ER and they do a bunch of tests on her. And one of the tests they do is they run an EKG on her. And they say the EKG looks basically normal, but we just want to have some follow-up. Send us to a cardiologist. And the cardiologist takes a second look and does an ultrasound and then tells us that 
she has a heart murmur, not just a heart murmur. Uh, she has she, it's actually such a large hole in her heart. She had an atrial septal defection (ASD), uh, and she had a heart murmur that was so you couldn't even hear it because the hole in her heart was so large that you couldn't actually. Normally, the heart murmur comes from you hear the the blood flowing the wrong way through the heart. You couldn't hear it because the hole was so large in her heart. So, in August of last year, uh, she had to, or August of 2015 rather, she had to have open heart surgery. The surgeon was Dr. Vaughn Starnes, exactly the same surgeon who worked on Jimmy Kimmel's kid. Uh, it was at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Could not be more grateful to Children's Hospital LA or Dr. Starnes, who is indeed the master of his craft. There's a reason he's the best in the world, and we were lucky enough to be able to to work with him, and uh, he obviously did the work um, and saved our daughter's life. I mean, she, she wouldn't have died immediately. It wasn't like an emergency situation quite as much as, as Jimmy Kimmel's kid, it sounds like, um, but she would have had failure to thrive as she got older. She would have had to have open heart surgery. If they hadn't detected it, it would have shortened her lifespan to, you know, 30 or 40. Uh, now they fixed it. She's good as new. Thank God everything is fine, and she's great. The reason that I tell this story is because when Jimmy Kimmel starts talking about the National Institutes for Health and federal funding and health insurance and all the rest of this, the reason that I was able to get great coverage for my kid is because I was employed and also because my wife and I had health insurance long before we had a kid. He's missing a couple of, of key points here, and I wanted to establish sort of the, the bona fides here. So when I'm speaking about this, I'm not speaking from the perspective of someone who hasn't experienced nearly identically what Jimmy Kimmel has experienced here. Uh, it was absolutely terrifying. I mean, you go and you meet with the doctor, and the doctor tells you your kid, uh, you know, even if the doctor says it's a surgery that's done regularly, um, it's still frightening as all hell because they're cracking open your kid's chest and cutting her open, and, and you know, it, it was hooking her up to tubes. It was really terrifying and horrifying. And thank God she's okay. But the point is that when he immediately connects that to federal funding, when he immediately connects it to Obamacare, I don't like the process as a general rule. I don't like the process of using personal stories like this to push for legislation or to push for public policy because it doesn't necessarily follow. And what I mean by this is, again, Dr. Starnes, great doctor, Children's Hospital, great hospital. Most of the people, when we were in Children's Hospital during the recovery, we were in the ICU for about a week. When we were in Children's Hospital, most of the people who are in Children's Hospital, I know this because my wife rotated through Children's Hospital because she's a doctor in the L.A. area. A huge number of the kids in Children's Hospital are not kids who have great insurance. Many of them don't have any insurance. The fact is that in the United States of America, if you have an emergency situation like Jimmy Kimmel had, let's just assume this happened at Cedars-Sinai, again, where my wife gave birth. Let's assume that the exact same situation happened. But there was no insurance, and the doctor spotted that there was this emergency surgery that had to happen in order to prolong the child's life. They don't ask insurance. They immediately send the kid over to Children's Hospital, and Dr. Starnes works on the kid. because, And then somebody else fills the gap. Children's Hospital is very lucky, and the Children's has enormous sums of giving. People give tons of money to Children's Hospital. I'm sure Jimmy Kimmel will, too. We've given charity to Children's Hospital. People, There's a whole wall, an entire wall in Children's Hospital that is just names of celebrities who have given money to Children's Hospital to help support Children's Hospital. People are generous with their giving. People want to save people who are in need. The problem with the argument that we have to cover pre-existing conditions, which is basically what Jimmy Kimmel is saying here, is number one, when it comes to children, it is the job of the parents to have health insurance when the kid is born because the parent's health insurance covers the kid, right? The fact is that my kid was not buying her own health insurance when she was a year and a half old. We had health insurance. It covered her. That doesn't mean that if there's a gap that we as a community shouldn't step in. That's what charity's for. That's why hospitals cover the gap. That's why costs are passed on very often through a backdoor method via the hospital to people who do have insurance. But it does say that it is a mistake as a society 
to simply say to people that there is no moral responsibility to get health insurance while you're healthy and while you don't have health problems. Because if you don't do that, if they're, if you just say whenever you get sick, you can immediately take advantage of the system, people will wait to get sick to take advantage of the system and you'll end up bankrupting the system. The reason that children's is so great is because children get paid lots of money. They get paid lots and lots and lots of money to do these sorts of things. Dr. Starnes, I'm sure, earns millions of dollars a year and he deserves every penny that he makes. And he's able to do that because there are people paying voluntarily into health insurance to cover themselves. So when something bad happens, he gets paid. Dr. Starnes is not somebody who should be working for 60 grand a year like a postal worker. If you do that to the health system, you're not going to be able to get the kinds of surgeries that Dr. Starnes provides or the kind of care that the Children's Hospital provides. And I think it's deeply important that when we talk about everybody getting the sort of care that Jimmy Kimmel's kid got or that my kid gets, in order for that to happen, you have to make it affordable and quality. The only thing that does that is a free market. And again, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be a safety net provided by a society. I'm not even talking about through government now. I'm talking about through charity and through communities and through charity hospitals. All of that is true. But to, to use a personal situation that is really difficult and heartbreaking in order to promulgate a, a public policy that actually doesn't achieve what you're seeking to achieve children is, is not worthwhile. Children's Hospital could not be what Children's Hospital is if it existed as a public sector hospital unless you were willing to tax people up the wazoo. And that sort of taxation scheme bankrupts countries and doesn't provide the same care anyway. Look at the National Health Service in Britain or the, or the Nationalized Health Care Service in Canada. This is the I have nothing but sympathy for Jimmy Kimmel because I've been through, as I say, exactly the same thing. Uh, And it's heartbreaking. And that heartbreak should not be used as a political tool in order to push a political agenda. And I'm sure that Jimmy Kimmel believes every word that he's saying. But funding for the National Institutes of Health has nothing to do with what happened here. Again, the American people are insanely generous. The amount of research that goes into the sorts of techniques that Dr. Starnes used is tremendous, and it's not from the public sector in, most, in the most part. It's actually from the private sector. Okay, so I wanted to get that out of the way. Before I go on here, I want to talk about May Day and what the left is showing of itself, and then I want to talk about the Trump budget. Before I get to any of that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So My Patriot Supply, if you are deeply concerned about what's going on in the world right now, you need to talk to my friends over at My Patriot Supply, and I am about to tell you why. Nobody at this office is prepared for any sort of emergency of any kind. You know, I asked Mathis the other day what would happen if there was like an EMP attack by North Korea or an earthquake or a zombie outbreak. Do we have a flashlight or potable water? What'd we do? And his answer was we would eat Austin. Yep. No preparedness. No going hungry for even a day. Nope. First sign of trouble, chop up Austin, eat him. My suggestion was slightly less severe. We should probably drop 10 bucks on like a wireless radio and stock up on some delicious emergency meals from My Patriot Supply. They taste like home cooking. You can get a four-week supply for just 99 bucks at preparewithben.com. They will even cover the shipping. They'll make sure you're safe, your family's safe, preparewithben.com. Your life might depend on it, especially, apparently, if you work with Mathis. <laughs> uh, Mathis is... Uh... You know, it's, it, it is hard to work with Mathis at time. I do love that this cartoon has Mathis' hair precisely correct. Uh, it's 888-803-1413. Prepare with Ben.com if you want that four-week emergency food supply for just 99 bucks. It's something that you owe to yourself if you're worried about natural disaster or if you're worried about some sort of uh, governmental disaster of any kind. Check it out. Prepare with Ben.com. Okay, so yesterday was, of course, May Day. The, the winning internet meme of the day goes, of course, to Justin Timberlake, who immediately tweeted out, hey, guys, it's May, which is amazing. For people who don't remember uh, the days of, of NSYNC and uh, it's May, then, uh, then you've missed out. In any case, uh, the, the, the communists on May Day decided that it was a perfect time to go out and rampage and loot things, demonstrating, of course, that tolerance is the greatest 
attribute of the people on the left. Here's what it looked like uh, at the protest in uh, in Portland. And breaking news, May Day protests going on right now in several cities, including Los Angeles and Washington State. Things have started getting violent in Portland. Uh, we're seeing pictures of several disturbances just in the last several minutes. We should tell you uh, the official uh, protest there, May Day protest, uh, was actually canceled by, uh, by police uh, because police say of the presence and the behavior of what they described as anarchists. Uh, we've been watching now over the last several minutes a group of anywhere from 100 or more uh, people, uh, many of them dressed in black. Some have been setting fires. There you see police trying to uh, trying to put out some uh, of those fires. Good times right there. They, so the May Day folks, uh, all the set. communists really demonstrating what kind of society they would like to build if they had the opportunity or the society they would like to destroy if they had the opportunity. Every year in Seattle, they have May Day violence and people throw things through windows and they protest against capitalism. May Day, I think, is a good time for us to remember, uh, let's say, the 100 million people who died due to communism over the course of the 20th century. Uh, I thought that the most amazing picture was from Venezuela on May Day. There was some woman holding a May Day while waiting in line for a loaf of bread, which pretty much sums up the entire May Day thing. Uh, the left keeps paying tribute to May Day. Uh, it's absurd. May Day is not a holiday. May Day is a day of tragedy if we're talking about the rise of, of the communist left, which has killed more people than all the religious wars in history. So uh, that, is, uh, that is worth noting on the day after May Day. Okay, well, I want to talk about President Trump and whether he is being effective, but we'll get to that. You have to go over to dailywire.com right now. I have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about The Handmaid's Tale. We're going to talk about a piece of music that is obviously ripped off for Star Wars. We're going to deconstruct the culture a little bit. So, so much to talk about, but you have to go over to dailywire.com to become a subscriber. $8 a month gets you that subscription. Annual subscription gets you a copy of Jeremy Boring's The Arroyo, fictional film set on the southern border, all about the people using the, the drug cartels using the border as a thoroughfare for drugs and human trafficking. Go over to dailywire.com right now and become a subscriber. Watch the rest of the show live. And then on Thursday, you can be part of the massive, incredible, tremendous mailbag that will Make your life so much better in every way. You will win big league. Dailywire.com. Go over and check it out. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so I want to point something out. So, so President Trump has now put out a 100-day ad. And the reason that I want to go over this is because I want to point out, as I said yesterday, that effectiveness is actually necessary here. We are now in the middle of an ineffective presidency. And I'm sorry to break it to folks that this is the case, but... President Trump has not been effective, okay? Neil Gorsuch was a good pick. Congressional Review Act, a few good things. He has not been an effective president. Repeal of Obamacare, not happening. Building of the Trump wall, not happening. Tax reform, has not happened. We have yet to see what shape that will take. He's signing some executive orders that are good, but his two biggest ones have been struck down by the courts. This is not a super effective presidency. So Trump has cut an ad about his first 100 days, and you will see sort of what Trump is doing here. Donald Trump, sworn in as president 100 days ago, America has rarely seen such success. A respected Supreme Court justice confirmed. Companies investing in American jobs again. Okay, so so companies investing in American jobs again. The vast majority, I, I pointed this out when he was in the transition mode. The vast majority of companies that have said that they're investing in the United States had already said they were investing in the United States before Trump was president and then reiterated it so that Trump could feel a political win. It continues. Becoming more energy independent. Regulations that kill American jobs eliminated. The biggest tax cut plan in history. You wouldn't know it from watching the news. America is winning, and President Trump is making America great again. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Okay, so he's already running his re-election campaign. Um, 
there is only one, aside from Gorsuch, there's only one legit point in that entire thing. I'm sorry, the Keystone XL pipeline is not that big a deal. The only legit point in this in this ad is removing some of the environmental regulations. That's a legit point, and that's on Scott Pruitt, and that's on Trump. Good for him. But this idea that anyone who's telling you that this hasn't been the most effective presidency ever is fake news. All that is is it's, it's just a dog whistle to his people to yeah, support me because the media sucks. It's not even a dog whistle. It's an overt call. The media, you hate them, support me. Again, if you can only exist as president in opposition to something else, you're not doing a good job. Okay, if you can only exist as a quote-unquote successful president in the mind of your supporters by pointing at Hillary Clinton or pointing at the fake news media, it's because you're not doing a wonderful job. And you're not doing a wonderful job because if you have no ideology and you're distracting yourself all the time, it isn't a great thing. So, you know what, let's do a little bit of, of good Trump, bad Trump. I want to talk about something that's good that Trump's going to do, and then we'll do something that's bad that, that uh, some stuff that's bad that Trump is doing. So do we have good Trump, bad Trump? We haven't done it in a while. Good Trump. Trump, which one will we get today? Every I really perked up in the studio when I said good Trump, bad Trump. It's been too long. Okay, so good Trump, yeah. So Trump's about to sign an executive order. That executive order is apparently about religious freedom. He's going to, this is something Mike Pence was pushing for a little while ago, uh, in which uh, he was basically uh, trying to get Trump to sign an executive order that prohibited the federal government from cracking down on people who are exercising religious freedom, particularly on LGBT issues. Uh, that would be a really good thing. That's going to happen on Thursday. So I'm going to save Thursday to talk about that when we have some more details on it. But that is obviously a really good thing. Okay, unfortunately, that's all the good Trump that I have for today. Because the, because Trump's, this has not been a good week for President Trump. He gave a bunch of incoherent interviews about his first 100 days. And then he's about to sign into law this this ridiculous budgetary bill uh, that is um, that is $1.1 trillion, funds Planned Parenthood, does not fund his border wall. And he's tweeting out this morning, and this is just, I, I don't even understand this. I, I don't even understand this. Uh, he, he, he's tweeting out this morning, this is last night, President Andrew Jackson, who died 16 years before the Civil War started, saw it coming and was angry, would never have let it happen. Okay, he said this in an interview yesterday. This was stupid when he said it, but then he doubles down on it because he does just stop digging. Put down the shovel. Stop it. Put down the shovel, okay? There are things to do. We don't need to have another week of debate over how little you know about the Civil War, President Trump. My God, man. Yeah, I understand that you feel the necessity to double down on every, everything that you have ever said ever in the history of mankind, but just stop. Everyone who's willing to let it go, we're all willing to move on with our lives. And then you tweet this out. And then, and then, President Trump goes on Twitter today, and then he tweets something else. So, Remember, he was saying that he supports this new budget, right? He's the one who's going to sign it. He's the one who's supposed to sign it into law. Here is what Trump tweeted this morning. Quote, the reason for the plan negotiated between the Republicans and Democrats is that we need 60 votes in the Senate, which are not there. We either elect more Republican senators in 2018 or change the rules now to 51%. Our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix mess. Okay, so... I, I, sorry, almost turned into Alex Jones there. It's it's been <laughs> been a male vitality, my God. Okay, so President Trump, uh, <laughs> he is the one signing the bill. Okay, let's be clear about this. He is the one who is signing the bill. Understand? He has a Republican House and a Republican Senate, but he can't do anything, he says, until he has 60 votes in the Senate. And then when we have 60 votes in the Senate, presumably he won't be able to do anything because we need to give him a unicorn, a golden unicorn that craps rainbows. That's what we actually need to do. And then what I love most about this is he says, 
Our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix mess. I have an idea you could do a good shutdown now. Also, if you say our country needs a good shutdown, hmm, who do you think people will blame for the shutdown when it happens, when you say we need a good shutdown? Hmm? And this is why you don't let stupid people go on Twitter. This is not smart, okay? It's just not smart. Just stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> Sorry about the frustration, gang. But it's very important that the President of the United States sign bills that are good and oppose bills that are bad and then coherently explain why he is doing both of those things. You cannot sign a bill that is bad and then say, I'm about to sign this terrible bill and it makes me so angry. I'll never sign a bill like this again in September. He's going to, spoiler alert, he's going to sign a bill like this again in September because guess what? Congress is not going to shut down, not right before an election, because they've bought into this whole stupid idea that has been pushed by the left media and the entire Republican Party has bought that a government shutdown hurts Republicans. Dumb, 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 dumb. And then the Trump administration comes out today and they say, don't worry about the wall. Yeah, sure, this, this bill doesn't include funding for the wall, but Trump still wants his wall. Here's Sean Spicer today saying that, or yesterday saying Trump still wants his wall. Well, make no mistake, the wall is going to be built. The president has made it very clear. Uh, we have five months left in this fiscal year. Um, we're getting $1.52 billion for border security. There's a lot that can be done with that. We've got a lot of things that happened before the wall is built in terms of planning, technology, gates. Um, there's a lot of things that can, that can do to prepare. Okay, I'll tell you uh, what you can't get done with that money, building the wall, because that's explicitly in the bill that you're not allowed to use this money for building the wall. In fact, before this bill... The legislation that was on the books, the laws that were on the books, said that the federal government had the capacity to use discretionary funding to build the wall. Now they cannot do that anymore because of this bill, as Daniel Horowitz points out over a conservative review. So today, we don't have tape of it yet, but Mick Mulvaney, who's the head of the Office of Management and Budget, he gets up there and he says, no, no, we're already building the wall. Not only are we going to, we're already building the wall. And then he proceeds to show a photo of the wall, right? He says, here is the fence that we already have, and we're replacing this fencing with wall. Okay, and he shows a picture of the wall. The picture is from Reuters, January 25th, 2017, five days after Trump takes office. The wall already exists. Okay, so he's showing me a picture of a wall that pre-existed Trump. And then he's saying, look, here's a picture. We're building wall just like this. Let me explain something. If I say to you, I'm building a new house, and then I say to you five minutes later, guess what, guys, I'm not building a new house. Actually, there's just a hole in the wall in my bathroom, and I'm patching it. Those are not the same two things. Okay, Donald Trump promised a physical barrier all along the U.S.-Mexico border. Fixing the wall that currently exists while worthwhile is not building the wall, and moving the goalposts is not something that should fool anybody who wants a wall in place. This is just silly towns. Uh, Jim Jordan, who's a, one of the more conservative members of the House, he says conservatives aren't going to vote for this spending plan. It'll go through anyway because Democrats will vote for it. But this just demonstrates, again, that there are serious splits in the Republican Party that require presidential leadership to bridge, but that's not happening. Uh, how do you feel about this CR? Do you like what's in it, what's not in it? No, I mean, look, um, money goes to Planned Parenthood, as you said. Money continues to go to sanctuary cities, but no money for the border wall. Um, I, I think you're going to see a lot of conservatives be against this, uh, this plan this week. How I mean, did it happen? Why, 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 did we, why did we last fall do a short-term spending bill if we weren't going to actually fight for the things we told the voters we were going to fight for? So uh, we'd have been, I mean, if this is the deal we're going to get, it seems to me we should have just did the bill for the whole year. But we specifically held the vote for, we did a short-term spending bill for this time so that when Republicans control the government, uh, we could actually do the things we campaigned on. This bill is correct. What Jim Jordan is saying is correct, but it's not what Republicans are doing because Republicans never do the right thing. So why do we bother electing them? Oh, because they're better than the media and the Democrats. And that has turned into the entire argument at this point. And this is not to argue. The media are good. The media aren't. The media are terrible. Yesterday, CNN's Jeff Zucker 
attacked Fox News as state-run TV. Here's what he had to say. How would you draw the map of the three obvious cable? So there's three cable news networks, right? Um, And uh, obviously, you know, Fox News is... uh, um, Very articulate. Uh, he says Fox News is uh, Fox News is state-run TV. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the rest of the clip, but in any case, he says Fox News is state-run TV. Uh, and uh, I, I just wonder. I do have a question as to why CNN wasn't state-run TV for eight years when they were kissing Obama's tuchus for eight long years. This is why Republicans and Trump are able to keep blaming the media for everything. Uh, Tucker Carlson hit the White House Correspondents Association president. He said rightly, you guys obviously are targeting President Trump. The dinner on Saturday night, which I did not attend but watched a tape of, was basically an extended middle finger to the president, an expression of dislike for the president. And the press shouldn't like or dislike politicians either, should it? I totally disagree with you. Were you and there? I also, was I there? You just played my clip, man. I know, but you were like sober um, and watching? Yeah, I was there. I was participating. And what you didn't do just now okay. is play the clip in which I said... Access under the Trump administration has been good yeah. because it has. So I would disagree with the way you introduced this by saying we complained about the Trump administration. So the speakers, the tone in the room. I mean, I watched the whole thing again. I was not there. Yeah. Why did you come? But basically, because I was not in town. Okay. Um, but basically, it was President Trump doesn't like us. No, it wasn't. And we don't like him back. That's just not true. Did, did it's you true. see that? And, and whenever people see stuff like this from the White House Correspondents Association, go, yeah, Trump. And that's, that's the general tenor of the debate, because the media have been hammering Trump, and it's just, it's over the top. So Jake Tapper on CNN, Trump said yesterday he would meet with Kim Jong-un. He shouldn't have said that, because Kim Jong-un is evil. Kim Jong-un is an evil guy. And I'm old enough to remember all the way back in 2008, when a man named Barack Obama said during the campaign that he would meet with the leader of Iran without preconditions because you have to meet with your enemies in order to make deals with them. And the entire right said, that's crazy. Why would you grant legitimacy to the leaders, the Mullah leaders of an evil terrorist, uh, evil terrorist government? Why would you do that? The right went nuts over this. Donald Trump says the same thing about Kim Jong-un, everybody on the right shrugs, and Jake Tapper, who I don't remember going after Obama particularly hard on the Iran deal, he has this to say. Now, this is all of a piece. The president also recently called Turkish President Erdogan to congratulate him on his recent power grab. He said kind words for Vladimir Putin, for the Chinese despots who perpetrated the Tiananmen Square massacre. He called them strong. He said Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi were bad guys, but that Iraq and Libya were in much better shape during their despotic regimes. Equating brutality and despotism with leadership, that's not an American value. Ronald Reagan once noted how our Declaration of Independence, especially the notion that each and every individual is endowed by our creator with a certain unalienable rights. That's a beacon to the world. Reagan said, quote, our creed as Americans is that these rights, these human rights are the property of every man, woman and child on this planet. And that a violation of human rights anywhere is the business of free people everywhere. Okay, so on- I, obviously I agree with everything Jake Tapper is saying here. I don't recall. Maybe I just missed it. I don't recall him going that hard after Obama on when he was saying that he was going to meet with with the Iranians. I don't recall him going that hard on Obama when he said that he was going to open up Cuba. But again, if I missed it, I'm happy to be I'm happy to be dissuaded from this opinion. Glenn Thrush did the same thing over the New York Times. He pressed Sean Spicer on Trump meeting with uh, the president of the Philippines, this dictatorial president who's been using extra legal killings in order to enforce his drug law. Uh, Duterte, uh, here's Thrush going after Sean Spicer about totalitarian leaders. Just describe Kim Jong-un as somebody who led 
this country uh, forward at an early age. The president has invited Duterte, who, as Annie pointed out, has talked about assassinating journalists. The president put out a statement after Erdogan uh, won his referendum congratulating him. He said kind things about Putin during the campaign, said kind things about Saddam Hussein. Does the president have a thing with these totalitarian leaders? Does he admire something about the way these guys conduct themselves? No, the president clearly, as I've said, understands the threat that North Korea poses. Um, some, having someone with the potential... So it's, not, it's not the answer that matters, it's the question that matters. And so the right's response to this is defend everything Trump does. And I think that the people who are being deserved in this are the people on the right. And the reason for this is not just because of the media ripping on people on the right. It's also because Trump's answer to the media isn't to do conservative things. It's to say the media suck. And I agree, the media suck. There's a huge number of people in the media who just want to get Trump. But that doesn't mean that when we spend our time defending stupidities, it does us any favors. So here is a clip from CNN. This is last night after President Trump starts saying silly, ridiculous, nonsensical things about the Civil War and such. Watch the Republicans on this panel come to President Trump's defense after say, after he says something that is just incoherent about Andrew Jackson and the Civil War. You know, I, I think that um, if you look at history, Andrew Jackson actually intervened when South Carolina tried to succeed. Right, he from, talked uh, about sending federal and, troops. And yes, and he, he, he kept the union. And so I, I think it was a, an accurate historic reference. He was a, a major slaveholder that moved from, I think he inherited... Uh, around 10 or so. But, that, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean he couldn't have prevented a war. Uh, wait, uh, he was on. there during the 3-5 compromise. Right, but if he was a, a yes, supporter wait, of slavery... But, but, uh, that, to that, the fact doesn't, that doesn't mean you can't work for peace. Oh, wait, okay, and, you and honestly are... I, this is a nice try, and I've been watching Trump supporters all day try to, try to candy coat this. It was an asinine thing for Donald Trump to say... And she's right. I'm sorry, but the Trump supporter here is wrong. As I explained yesterday, it was an asinine thing for Trump to say and then to tweet again about it. And again, all this distracts from is what should Trump be doing? Trump should be pushing the legislation that is good for the American people. Trump should be promulgating policy that is good for the American people. But there are only two people who there are only two sides that win when it comes to Trump's war with the media. Trump and the media. They're both the winners. Okay, neither one is the loser. Trump likes to say the media are the losers. They're getting better ratings than they ever have. The media likes to say Trump is the loser. He's not the loser because no one on the right is going to hold him accountable so long as he says deface the nation, even if it means that he's not going to actually pass an Obamacare repeal. The only people who lose in this entire equation are the people who are distracted by the shiny object and then don't get the legislation that they actually want. I want the legislation. I want the policy. I know maybe it's too much to ask to actually have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican president who pass Republican policy. I know that may be crazy talk in this land where I live, but still... I don't think that it's too much to say maybe we should put aside the, the media battle unless it's actually necessary. And then if you're going to fight the media, pick your terrain, pick your battles, wait until they say something that is false about an issue that is important and then slam them. But right now it's the boy who called uh, the, the boy who called fake fake news. Nobody's listening to each other. And that means that no good point is going to get through this entire this entire situation. Now, maybe Trump pushes a great executive order on Thursday, and I hope and I pray that he does. And there, I hope that he comes down with both feet, and I hope that he defends it as ardently as he has defended his nonsense comments about inauguration crowd size. I hope he's just as obsessed with defending his executive orders as he is with defending his tweets about Andrew Jackson. But if he doesn't start getting his act together, this is going to be a deeply ineffective presidency. I know this is day two of pointing this out, but it's not going to change unless President Trump 
changes on all of this. Well, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. If you're somebody who's looking at diversifying your investments, then you should take a look over at birchgold.com slash Ben. No cost, no obligation, free information guide on how to invest in precious metals. They'll send you a comprehensive 16-page kit revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into precious metals. And to get your no-cost, no-obligation kit right now, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Everybody should have at least part of their portfolio in precious metals as a hedge against inflation and government and government incompetence. In, in, in uh, go over to birchgold.com slash Ben right now and check it out. They're the people that I would trust. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau's bunch of five-star reviews. Go check it out. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate, and then we shall deconstruct culture. So... Things I like. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that uh, there's part of Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra that sounds exactly like the Jawas from the, from, uh, the original Star Wars. Uh, I'm about to play you music that clearly was on the scratch track for Star Wars when John Williams was scoring it, and it's clearly what John Williams basically stole it from. Now, John Williams, he steals from the best, which is definitely uh, something you need as a composer, um, but it is impossible not to listen to Holtz to the Planets, uh, the, the planet Mars, and not to come away saying to yourself, wow, that right there, that is the, the Empire theme, that is the, the bad guy theme, that's the Darth Vader theme from Holtz to the Planets. Uh, Holtz was a British composer. Uh, he is... Um, this was written in 1914, between 1914 and 1916. Uh, Holtz is a really underrated composer. Uh, he was, uh, he, as I say, he was from Britain. Uh, he was used, his orchestration was used as an example for people like Maurice Ravel. Um, and uh, this has become his most popular work for sure, although a lot of his other work is forgotten. But that's, that's really sad because a lot of his other work is really good. This is Mars from the Planets. He goes through... All of the planets, great piece. Uh, Mars is is probably the most well-known. Jupiter is also very well-known. Okay, here it is. Does this sound familiar? He, he admits that he was using the entire instrumentation, the whole thing. I mean, it's, I mean, come on, <laughs> right? I mean, that's Star Wars. I remember this blew my mind when I was like 10 years old and my dad showed this to me. I remember that I was like, what? That's crazy. But he, he, he did, my dad, he's a wonderful father. He brought in, he did an entire presentation on, on how Williams had adapted this for use in Star Wars. It's a great piece. Listen to the whole thing. It's really a fantastic piece. Holds the planet. Uh, well worth checking out. Okay. Other things that I like. Uh, this I thought was fantastic. There was a, an NHL game, and NHL coverage has been dramatically cut on ESPN because I have a theory about why this is. My theory goes like this. The people in the United States who have been increasing their sports viewing, uh, according to the Nielsens, are people who are black. I mean, those are the people who have been increasing sports viewing, and that's largely about the NBA, even though polls show that the NBA is like America's fourth or fifth favorite sport. It's not number two. It's not number three. And 19% of all ESPN coverage is done about the NBA, 
Meanwhile, they're cutting back coverage on sports like the NHL. Just as many Americans say they like the NHL as their top sport as, say, the NBA, believe it or not, according to the 2015 Harris Bowl. In any case, uh, there was an NHL game. Uh, and, and the reason that's, that's relevant is because uh, the, the folks who are watching more TV tend to be more liberal politically, leftist politically. And so ESPN is programming to, to cater to a new audience. That's sort of their goal. So I think there's some market-driven stuff happening at ESPN. But this is what happened at a Stanley Cup playoffs game between the Anaheim Ducks and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, and the mic went out. And this is in Canada. This is in Canada. Country singer Brett Kissel was supposed to sing the American National Anthem, um, but the microphone wasn't working, and so here's what it looked like. Hey! Is this working? Let's sing it together. Oh, shit. I mean, this is in Canada. I mean, if this happened in America and the mic went out during O Canada, how many people would actually know the words to O Canada? <laughs> that is a tribute to uh, what a great country America is, that so many people know the word. It's simple measure, but how many people know the words to our national anthem, which is a, a super cool thing. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So, Stephen Colbert uh, late night host who does not have the heart of Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, he is uh, he, he doesn't know how to rip Trump using the heartstrings. So instead, he's just vile and vulgar. He last night he let off his show with a monologue about President Trump that went something like this. Here we go. All right, we'll get the gloves off. Mr. Trump, your presidency. I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. You're not the POTUS. You're the bloatus. You're the glutton with the button. You're a regular gorge, Washington. You're the president, but you're turning into a real prictator. <laughs> Sir, you attract more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. Library, your presidential library is going to be a kids' menu and a couple of jugs magazine. The only thing smaller than your hands is your tax returns, and you can take that any way you want. Okay, so uh, you know if this passes for comedy now, I'm old enough to remember when Martin Bashir was fired from MSNBC for making a comment about how someone ought to defecate in Sarah Palin's mouth. I'm not sure what that makes this. This guy is a star in late night, uh, and he's suggesting that the president of the United States basically provides oral sex to the dictator of Russia, and that's all that his mouth is appropriate for. The joke doesn't even actually make any sense. I don't even know why he would be advocating for that, uh, or why it's not homophobic for that matter. But nonetheless, uh, he is out there doing this. The left has, has lost its mind. So the right lost its mind because of Obama. The left has lost its mind because of Trump. And now they're just getting more vile and more vulgar. If they think that they're going to win people over to their base by doing this, they're totally wrong. The best friends Trump ever had are people like Stephen Colbert. Okay, other things that I hate. So Steve Bannon, who is still the, the White House chief strategist, although he's been marginalized in some pretty significant ways, uh, and now Trump calls him his alt-left 
his anti-alt-left fighter or something, which is probably the best thing that Steve could be, honestly. If, if all Steve is is just an anti-media strategy, then Steve is qualified for that. He's just not qualified to actually make policy. In any case, um, Bannon apparently a long time ago wrote a rap musical about uh, that was based on Coriolanus about the L.A. riots. And a bunch of actors got together, they discovered the script, they got together and they did a live reading of this thing to make fun of it, and here's what it looked like. Roll opening credits. Interior. Elevator cage. Near the surface, we hear off-screen helicopters, police sirens, gunfire, chaos. The noise of the surface world, drowning out the gumboots and the chanting. Police band communication between helicopters and tactical units begins to filter in. Agrippa pats his gut and laughs. <laughs> South Central is the belly. You is mutinous members. Look on and you'll see that the benefits which you receive proceed from them to you in no way from your sorry black ass. Agrippa crosses to Brutus and grabs his crutch. Hey, you, what you think you as the great of this assembly? Did you call me a You Agrippa grabs Brutus's crutch a second time. Mm. He approaches the baby gangster. Puts his hand on his shoulder, now addressing him. The kid gives him stink eye. Whoever deserves greatness wants their hate. Peep game, boy. To count on them for favors is to swim with fins of lead. He turns back to the mob. So, you. Trust you? <laughs> with each passing minute, you change your common mind. Oh, you I, call I want to point something out here. I'm not actually going to rip on, I'm not going to rip on Bannon for this. The reason I'm not going to rip on Bannon for this is because writing is hard, okay? And and it's <laughs> and the idea that, you know, if somebody on the left had come up with this idea they were going to do Coriolanus in the inner city and they were going to make it into a rap musical, it would probably be on Broadway right now and everybody would be talking about how it's a Tony Award winner. But because Bannon wrote it, now they're going to make fun of it and they're going to say, oh, it's so terrible. It just demonstrates how art works. I think Hamilton is, I think this is garbage. I think Hamilton is garbage. Um, but at least I'm consistent in my belief that these both are garbage. The, there's a whole group of people who, if you took Bannon's name off of this and you actually tried to produce this, they would actually think that this is kind of clever to try and take a Shakespearean, uh, try, turn it into a rap musical, basically. Take a Shakespeare play, turn it into a rap musical and modernize it. I don't know why that's so wildly out of, out of, the, out of the box, but they, they, they decided to do this in order to mock Bannon, and that I just find relatively gross. Uh, so that's, that's sort of my comment on that. Here, am I, here I am again, defending on Steve Bannon. This is why I say the left is so awful that everyone is forced to defend Donald Trump and his team. Okay, uh, other things that... Uh, uh, so it's time to deconstruct the culture. Let's do a little bit of deconstructing the culture uh, because it is... What day is it now? It's a Tuesday? Okay, so well, thank you. I've, I've lost all track of time. Okay, so they, they had the Met Gala last night. And uh, the Met Gala is basically an excuse for a bunch of idiot celebrities to wear the dumbest crap you've ever seen. It looks like they just went down to the local junkyard and put things on. So here is some of the things that people were wearing. So this is what Katy Perry was wearing. If you can't see this, this is why you need to subscribe, folks. Katy Perry appears to be wearing a dead jellyfish um, and, and, or the, and or the covering from a, from a horse at the circus in 1873. Um, it looks like a red burqa. And uh, across the across the front of it is sewed something across her eyes, and she, for some odd reason, has an egg beater on the side of her head, uh, or something that resembles an egg beater on the side of her head, and it looks like she has shaved her head for purposes of this costume. So she looks absolutely awful. The, the guy who designed this, by the way, is an open anti-Semite, so that's always exciting. Uh, so she wore this. We're going to go through some of the worst dress. This is Pharrell and his wife, uh, who came as a Muppet, which is exciting. Uh, she She looks like... 
uh, for, for those who can't see it, she looks like a Pop-Tart. Uh, she's wearing a big red costume that covers her entire body and looks like Muppeting. Uh, Jaden Smith, who's Will Smith's kid, is at least not dressed as a female this year, uh, is now walking around in relatively normal clothes but holding a thing of his own hair, looking somewhat like the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. I'm afraid he's going to stuff it into his chest and declare himself to be brilliant. Uh, this is Rihanna, who was attacked by some form of sea life. Uh, and tragically for her, it doesn't look like that's going to come off very easily. I don't know what what she was thinking here, um, but it's... It, there are there are no words left. I mean, she looks like a, she looks like the leftovers from when my daughter makes a collage. Uh, and uh, and there is Madonna who is wearing a camouflage outfit. Madonna now looks like a wax figure of Madonna. Her camouflage outfit uh, drapes all the way to the ground because she's a true warrior for whatever Madonna is a true warrior for. So that's exciting. So uh, the, here's the point that I want to make. The people on the left, they like to spend thousands of dollars on stupidity and then call it high fashion. It's really insulting to the rest of us. Like, this is really insulting. It used to be that when people dressed nicely, they dressed in ways that made them look classy. It made them, would you ever aspire to look like any of those things outside of a fever dream? Why would you possibly aspire to look like Rihanna just looked in that, in that, I mean, she looked like the inside of a small intestine. Why would you possibly aspire to look like that? It used to be the celebrity class was all about one day you too can be glamorous and you can live up to the standards of the celebrity class and how they dress. Uh, No longer. Now it is important that the celebrity class dress like a bunch of kooks or like a bunch of homeless people. Uh, And that is the way that they are, and so then you don't feel that they're that much superior to you, except the fact is this. We still worship our celebrities. We'll still imitate them. Okay, final thing in deconstructing the culture. I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, the heavy advertising for The Handmaid's Tale. This is this new Hulu production of a, of a book by Margaret Atwood from the 1980s. Not a good book when it was written. Not a good series now that it's made. Here is just a, a touch from the, from the trailer. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. My name is Alfred. I had another name. Ladies, I have to let you go. It's the law now. They needed to do it this way. All the banks... To do it this way, they need to fire all the women and turn them into baby breeding machines and, and such. Okay, this is what the left actually thinks of the right, but the problem is that the only people on earth who actually do this are radical Muslims, obviously, uh, and the left has nothing to say about those people. They also equate all of this stuff from the left with the basic notion that do, that women are supposed to be for, that, that, that abortion laws are bad. So killing babies, if you prohibit that, then you're somehow hurting, you're somehow hurting women, and it's just like enslaving them or some such nonsense. We'll talk more about it tomorrow because you can hear the wrap-up music coming. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 